You're listening to Dramas Over Flowers with Saya, Anissa and Parama. And this is the Year End Yak. Hello, I'm Saya. I'm Anissa. And I am Parama. Welcome one and welcome all to the last episode that we record this year. I don't know when it's coming out. <laughs> it's probably not coming out till after New Year. Yeah, I think probably it will come out in January. Yes. So before we jump in, uh, there are going to be uh, more than one part to this <laughs> year and yak because we can never keep it <laughs> in one episode. Um, so I- I'm telling you guys this. So you know that there is another episode at least that is going to come out. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Where are we starting? We are starting with... Trends and general thoughts on the year 2022. Yes. K-drama specifically, right? Right. K-dramas more or less specifically. We're <laughs> so going to break this rule right on the first thing we talk about. Um, but let's start with the question that is probably kind of subconsciously on all our minds, which is, were there too many dramas this year? It felt like a lot. Yeah, mm. I, I, I felt that yeah. a lot this year. And I think it's like a feeling that's been creeping up on me as dramas kind of diversify and show up in more places. And, you know, like even, you know, there was like Cable in 2012, which also expanded the slate of K-dramas. And then like now with streaming and, you know, there's like multiple different kinds of web dramas. And I don't even know like which ones we can call web dramas. There's the mobile only ones that come out on the mobile apps. There's like direct to streaming stuff that also feels a little bit like a web like it's really hard to know what and it's also hard to like put things in boxes I know you were talking about this when you were deciding on the k-drama tracker and like figuring out which dramas kind of like make which were eligible pharma yeah Yeah. because there was you know you want to talk about that a little bit yeah so Listen, there are way too many dramas um, because not only are there dramas that are uh, made by major networks, there are dramas that are made by very small companies, which uh, are maybe airing on channels that we don't even know about nationally, but they are airing on TV. Some of these have weird episode counts, like seven episodes, three episodes, a lot like drama specials, but they are not drama specials. They are by themselves an entire story. And it got really difficult to figure out what counts as drama dramas, like the thing that international viewers watch. Um, So finally, we kind of arbitrarily decided that we are going to stay old school for, you know, now. And we are going to stick with dramas that are more or less like ideally uh, between 10 to 24 episodes. So, you know, the 16 episode mark is the ideal one. We have included some dramas of like four episode, like soundtrack number one, because it was published by a major streaming network, which was Disney. Similarly, we have allowed like major streamed originals in the tracker this year. We hadn't done that last year. So uh, for instance, things like The Silent Sea um, is on it. And that's a big change for our tracker, but it's also expanded the number of dramas. I I don't remember how many dramas we had on the tracker last year, but this year, just in 2022, I think we included something like 133 dramas. But that is, I'm telling you, I left easily another 200 dramas on the cutting board <laughs> um and it, it it was hard but 
also did you guys feel like inundated like you you were watching a drama and then you felt like five other dramas have aired that you didn't even know about what suddenly people were talking about yeah <laughs> like, definitely mm. and, and also like I think I mean, personally, this was one of the reasons that I was a little relieved to stop doing our monthly previews of, you know, what's upcoming, even though it was fun and we really enjoyed those discussions, but it started to feel too big to exhausting and also Mm. like very difficult to like, I feel like five years ago, because there were fewer sources of these shows, the sort of upcoming information was aggregated in one place, more or less. I mean, you might have to look in two or three places, but ultimately it wasn't that hard to figure out what was coming out and when. And I think it was partly COVID because COVID messed up a lot of airing schedules and release schedules. But then also like there are just so many different platforms publishing these shows and it's gotten really hard to know everything that's coming out, where it's going to be available. It's also available in different places in different countries often. Um, Mm. And also like a lot of times there's either no promotion and suddenly something drops and you don't really know what it's about, or there's a lot of promotion and it keeps getting pushed. (laughs) We're going to talk about one of those shows (laughs) soon, but like, I'll just, I'll just say now like Salon de Nabi, which was originally called like fly butterfly, um, Mm. which is the Pakyan sun drama. Like we kept talking about it on what's up in drama land And then it just never kept it like not. kept getting delayed, and then we forgot about it, and then it just like quietly dropped last summer. So did that yeah. other that music drama? Was it Dear M, the one that had been delayed because of the Pakisu stuff? Yeah, again dropped quietly and without fanfare. Yeah, yeah, it finally, it finally dropped. I I started watching it recently, and I'd completely forgotten that this was the drama that we kept saying, "Hey, it's gonna release this month." Yeah. Oh no, this month. But then it was indefinitely paused. Yeah, Dear M and Salanda Nabi were both yeah Mm. and then eventually we just gave up (laughs) and nobody even knew they had come out like I didn't know Fly Butterfly was out uh, with a whole new name yeah so I think it was like November where I was looking at I was starting to think about like end of year stuff I think and I was looking Mm. at you know how my drama list has that calendar view where you could see everything that came out this year and I was like wait this came out in August like (laughs) I've been so excited for this because you know Puck Yansan I love her yeah Uh, that's the writer Mm. um and so then I just like binge watched it and I, and it seemed like nobody else watched this show. No, like, yeah, I don't I, think I agree. anybody watched this show. <laughs> so yeah, it's just been, I think it's overwhelming as a drama fan. And then it's like even more overwhelming as someone who like wants to, like we try to give a, a pretty useful overview of like the shows and the industry. And like we try to know what's mm. going on. I mean, at least that's how I feel like as people who make media about K-dramas, I feel like we have to stay up on things. Yeah. Um, and it's mm. been really hard to stay up on things this yeah. year. I have to say, once we hung up our gloves from What's Up in Dramaland, I never knew what was mm. coming up. It was, it was just too much. And yeah. Same with like looking at the news and staying on top of it all. And I realized, you know how people talk a lot about being in a drama slump? Yeah. I was not in a drama slump. I was in a drama fatigue, like of total exhaustion. Like, you know how people get decision fatigue and stuff? Like I do a lot. That was just too much. And like you have this warring sense of the FOMO, like these are dramas I want to watch. But on the other hand, you're like, but I can't watch them. There's too much. Like, where do I start? What do I begin with? I had the slump and the fatigue (laughs) at the same time. So so I didn't watch a lot of shows this year. Yeah. I had a lot of like the 
The shows that I wanted to watch, that list is about three times as long as the shows that I actually watched. And even the mm. number of shows I started is probably longer than the number of shows I finished. Oh, so, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. definitely. Mm-hmm. I started and uh, mercilessly dropped a lot of dramas, even though I haven't quite like marked them as drop <laughs> yeah. on our list. Because <laughs> yeah, that's like committing to a drop. Yeah. But I, I actually have dropped a ton of dramas. <sighs> I think overall, what happened was there was a period where I just didn't want to start any new dramas. And so I kept going back to like watching really old dramas. Mm, I did that a lot. 2012 dramas. And that helped. Like that refreshed uh, drama land for me a bit. And yeah, I could I could finally start watching. It's only in the last, I think, three or four months that I really started watching dramas from this year. I caught up with a lot. But I also can't say that I have finished uh, a ton of dramas. So mm-hmm. I don't know. On the one hand, I get the fatigue. On the other hand, I, I my my actual watch list would, would t- uh, tell you that, oh, my God, you have, <laughs> I have completed a substantial number of them. So maybe I shouldn't complete about you it. Go, you made us proud. You, you yeah. like held up more than your end of the bargain this year <laughs> in terms of like how much shows we watched. Also, I think you're more able to watch things casually, whereas like... If I watch a drama, I have to be like 100% present for the drama. And then it's like, mm. me too. I watch dramas like their work. Yeah. But yeah. that's how I enjoy it. And if I wasn't able to do that, then it's like, you know, I'm not watching it. I'm that annoying person if like I didn't catch one word <laughs> of the line of dialogue. It's I have to true. like rewind it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, very true yeah i was like you people are just (laughs) crazy mad for me it was a big step to watch dramas without making notes um because that's like also a way that i enjoy dramas is sitting there and whatever like i think while i'm watching it and i'm like oh this is an interesting thought i know that's a weird thing to think but (laughs) yeah i mean let's talk about this more once we you know dive into our personal yes drama years but i wanted to pick up on something that you mentioned parma and that you i know like both of you did is like going back and watching older stuff Mm. um and this is something i've heard from other people like on twitter and you know in our poll as well that like they enjoyed older dramas and like this is actually you reminded me that this is actually what i was getting at when i put in the notes that i wanted to talk about like how streaming is changing k-drama because i do think and we've had this discussion before about like how it feels like in a lot of ways you know k-dramas have been getting better and like they've gotten more expensive they've gotten more sophisticated they've gotten subtler in some ways since the three of us you know we've all been watching them for like at least 10 years at this point right Mm. and like we have also talked about how like there is something in those older shows that felt like more raw and authentic in some ways and even though they were like less glossy and maybe the production values weren't as high and maybe they were like more problematic but there Mm. was like an enjoyment to be had Mm. Um, And I don't think that there isn't an enjoyment to be had now. Like, obviously, like, they're still making a lot of really good shows. Mm. But I do think that, like, the character of K-Drama has just slightly changed. Yeah, And it's, like, such a subtle change over the years that I didn't notice it that much as it was happening. And I do feel like there is... I I mean, I'm having a hard time even putting my finger on what exactly has changed about them. Because they're still K-dramas, you know? They still do all of the things that we love. Well, I think of it as kind of like the nutritional content. Like, you're still getting the meal, but what sort of the various vitamin and protein and carb balance in that meal, that has changed. And, Mm. like, one of the questions that I would like to ask, but I can't answer because I haven't watched enough, (laughs) is has the 
increase in the quantity of K-dramas led to a proportional increase in the quality? Or is it like the character itself of what those new offerings are bringing is slightly different? What am I trying to express? Basically, (laughs) I think the line between like Korean film and Korean drama has been thinning for a long time. And that overlap has only increased. So perhaps Mm. that sort of change that we're detecting is much more to do with that film character coming into the drama character. And perhaps that's not the thing that you always want from a drama or it's not, you're not getting Mm. the same meal. You're getting a meal, but it's not the same thing. And it's kind of a global phenomenon, right? Of film becoming more like TV and TV Mm. becoming more like film just because of the way that we consume media. I mean, I think the same thing is happening to the American television and film industry. When you say Korean dramas are becoming more like Korean movies, are you talking about how usually Korean movies tend to be a lot of salt of the earth type storytelling? Like it's super glossy and action packed, some of these, but also it's really mostly about very regular people. Is, is that what you like? It's grittier and grimier. And feels more real and has less of like the magic realism and flights of fancy that you see in drama land. Is that what you're saying? Maybe, but maybe also, the thing is, I don't know what the right way of saying this is, but we've always talked about K-dramas being written largely by women for the female gaze and Mm. Korean films being the opposite. Yeah. Um, I feel like we're getting a little less of that kind of storytelling in a lot of the new oh, dramas. Oh, this is actually a really good point. There have been a lot more male writers in Dramaland yeah. this year. Yeah. They're film writers. Like, yeah, so film writers have been entering Dramaland. Of course, now with like the bigger production budget, they get more exposure mm. as writers. Um, now that K-dramas has prestige, the men want yeah. it. Exactly. <laughs> That's what it is. Precisely. Yeah. One of the things that I find, I have found this year, and I'll use an example of um, a drama that aired quite early in the year, um, A Superior Day. I can't Mm. remember on what. Um, I would have to check that. But the feeling that I've gotten a lot from, because I've tried a lot of the new dramas, like things like Glitch and things Mm. that I can't remember the titles of right now. And I went away from them with a sense of, like the things that brought me to K-drama and kept me there in the first place are things that have sort of slowly been ebbing away in a lot of these dramas. Like there have been so many thrillers this year, but many Mm. of the ones that I tried, I didn't enjoy them. To build on what you're saying, and this is actually the point I was trying to badly make earlier, which we scrapped, um, is that I find that a lot of the dramas, for instance, Narco Saints, I watched Mm -hmm. that on Netflix. There couldn't be a more West-inspired drama. It was like a short six episode thing mm-hmm. um, where this middle class man, he travels abroad. He, he's been told that, hey, you can make really quick money. But he then he gets caught up in this drug web. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he sort of like it starts helping a secret service agency. It, it's but the thing is, it's so it's not Homeland exactly, but it's it's the kind of story that I I I've feel like before. I have watched. Yeah. Yeah. In, in American television. Mm-hmm. And. I I think there were quite a few dramas this year that gave me that feeling. Like Mm. I have seen Western versions of stories like these. And they were usually like the grittier storyline. For instance, even with Big Mouth, even though I enjoyed it a lot, there were aspects of it that was less Korean corporate corruption, which is like a deeply K-drama thing. Um, And more like the slightly glossier um, 
American hero uh, story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So maybe it's not that Korean drama is becoming more like Korean film, but it's almost becoming like Hollywoodified after this sort of because it's not that they have more of a sensibility of like global viewership i think because k-dramas have always been produced for a global audience Mm. but it's like before that was mostly an asian audience Mm. and now you know on such a huge scale like post squid game and post bts taking over the world there's this new feeling i think from korean content creators that like america has noticed us (laughs) or that like post parasite like, this is what too. they like, so let's yeah, make it's, more of it's it. It's like the the West has has finally noticed us. And so, like, you know, for many years, Korean um, media has been really popular in, like, a lot of Asia and South America and Africa. And, like, and it was also, like, produced as a cultural export. Like, that was, mm. like, very deliberate from the beginning of, like, K-pop and K-drama. Like, these were products, you know, that had government you know, money invested in them. They had support. They had, you know, subsidies and they were designed as an export for the country in a country that doesn't have a lot to export of its own resources. Mm. Um, And so, like, it's not that they're suddenly writing for others. It's that who the audience is perceived to be and who the audience, like the desirable audience is like changed a little bit. So in a sense, it's creating a product according to market demands right? yeah and it, i mean it makes sense yeah. right like that's if that's who you're marketing but is it to. is it market demand or is it the production company saying we will only give you the budget if this is the story because that's happening in india a lot um until very recently netflix and amazon but most especially netflix was just approving scripts of a very specific spec and then, of mm-hmm. course, like they ran out of money right now. Netflix India is in a crisis, which is something I wanted to talk about. Netflix Korea has been getting a lot of money to sort of put into uh, originals, but also to co-produce dramas with other broadcast companies. And I absolutely think that this money comes with strings in that they uh, influence the kind of stories that are getting made now, which is why we are seeing a lot more of uh, these types of dramas being made. Again, not saying that we are not seeing very K-drama type uh, dramas. I mean, uh, what was a business proposal? That was like quintessential (laughs) K-drama. And it was like old school K-drama too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, You're also getting My Liberation Notes. You're getting 2521, which you could argue is like peak K-drama, really deep writing. That is not West inspired. This is like, you know... Uh, salt of earth k-drama um but you're also getting um, a bunch of stuff which for instance you have um all of us are dead for instance like these are good dramas i'm not saying that any of these are bad dramas mm-hmm. but the more of these dramas that you have um glitch glitch is another one yeah which is is very korean film inspired like k said but korean film itself is very west inspired mm-hmm. it not panders but like it mm, holds it draws uh, a lot of inspiration from hollywood absolutely and i mean the the those big name directors are explicit about that absolutely and they had it glitch had a ton of references to uh previous hollywood et movies too so it's it's like a direct reference but for, uh, right now, there is this drama that just dropped, which we won't be including in this year's uh, review, which is The Fabulous. It's not as explicit as a Western version of it would be, but something like The Fabulous would just not work 
with K-drama audiences a few years ago. It's really well written. I've, I've watched like the first couple of episodes, really well done and very K-drama-ish. But like the core content of it would just... You, do you guys remember when they tried to adapt in, um, what was it, Entourage? And they mm. just tried to make it too Western. They tried to make it like a direct replica and it just did not work. Oh, that was such a bad show. Oh my God. It was, did it was, we have yeah. Call My Agent this year also? Which was like- it was very, very underwhelming. I started watching it and like almost immediately dropped it. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, the point that you guys are making, which is that it's Western inspired, but not like not a copy. I think K-dramas have gotten better at taking inspiration from the West, but also making dramas that are more similar to western tv and western movies is not what we as the og Mm. (laughs) k-drama fans want to see but you know also i wonder if this is just a case of changing tastes among the korean audience as well Mm. you know like and and just the changing global media landscape that like has become so much more like porous and international mostly because of Netflix. Like Netflix single-handedly broke down a lot of barriers for people in terms of like where the content that they were watching came from because they were just, they just, they created this strategy back like, I don't know if it was like 10 years ago or where they were just like, okay, we're just going to license stuff. Like we're just going to make our own stuff because that makes more sense than licensing Mm. these really expensive shows and keeping them forever. And when Mm. they made that shift, they didn't just license American TV. They, They, I mean, they didn't just have Netflix originals, which weren't like all shows that they made, but they were like, you know, exclusive. And they didn't just do that for US TV and movies, right? They did it for like content from all different kinds of countries. And so like people would just see that it was a Netflix original and that brand made them watch stuff that they probably wouldn't have watched otherwise, right? And they, Mm -hmm. and and also like the way the algorithm like recommends things to people. It's, I feel like in some ways it's like creating more, sameness mm-hmm. across mm-hmm. a lot of media than yeah. than it was like you know 10 20 30 years ago where like things were so domestic and specific and i mean hollywood ex- was exported all over the world as part of their you know neo-imperialism project of domination but like other than that like people had their local you know cinemas and their local tv and and it was you know there was export absolutely like for example like indian film has been exported all over the world for many years but like it was still I don't know. It still felt more niche and more like subculture. And if you were into like, you know, foreign film or foreign TV, it was kind of like a lonelier journey. And now it feels like we're yeah. all on that journey. <laughs> Do you think that in some ways it's like a necessary stage of like the growing pains of uh, not necessarily an industry, but the type of storytelling that this particular medium has? Like storytelling has to evolve. The things people make have to evolve. I think it also is like evolving because of technology, Mm. right? Mm. I find that K-dramas now are a lot more socially aware than at any previous points. And one of the, hmm, I don't know how to put it without sounding... I I don't mean to say that they're too socially aware, <laughs> but like at some point I started feeling like the, the urge to show that we are aware started interfering with the writing. Like a writer would have a certain thought that this plot can go in this direction, but like a very mm, underwhelming subversion would be put in instead because that... A mm. is subversive and B, hey, look, we know that, you know, 
society does these things and we want to show a different take. And like, that's fun when it happens and we squee about it. But then also you start wondering if like that is actively interfering with like the uh, creative flow of the writer. Something else that I'm interested in finding out, but like there is no data, which is uh, because streaming uh, giants just do not release their internal data, is what the viewership of these streaming originals or all of these dramas that have like partnerships with like these mega you know streaming sites what are the views on them is it actually worth the money they are spending because right now as i said netflix india is finding out that a lot of the movies that they are or tv shows that they put in money uh, into developing they are just like stalling them right now and what i'm interested in knowing is like what happens maybe it doesn't happen right now because mind you a lot of these projects that released this year were in production last year or the year before so there was a lot of money that had already been put behind these projects but what happens from the data of this year we're probably going to find that out next year like over the next couple of years like whether it was worth it to put this amount of money into producing this many dramas and what like having Disney originals, Hulu originals and all of these K-drama originals on these streaming sites, how they actually help. Like, do they get subscribers to these platforms? Are the numbers high enough to, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And streaming is kind of reaching that point of saturation where like a lot of things are just going to shut down in the next couple of years because they just, they all, everyone got into streaming, mm. even like, Re like random companies that don't even make TV or movies <laughs> because they were like, oh, this is where the opportunity is. But like, that's not sustaining. People are not going to be able to subscribe to 10 services. They're not they're not going to do it anymore. And even like, I mean, you're talking about Netflix India, but like big US Netflix is not doing well. I mean, they fired so many people this year. Their mm. numbers dropped and they've notoriously been in the red for many years. And they've just like hosting because everyone thought it was like, you know, They've just kind of been in this bubble of like, yeah, we're losing money, but it's going to be worth it in the long run. And I think they're starting to realize that like maybe that's not the case. So, yeah, it will be very interesting to see what happens in the next few years. Yeah. So something else that's been happening in the streaming world is, like I said, like the financial uh, models, like whether these things are feasible, um, putting as much money into streaming content as they have been in the last couple of years. That's all kind of coming to a head right now. And I'm sure we are going to find like more instances where like the reality comes rushing at us over the next year. But interesting things that have happened, um, not necessarily in K-drama world, but like in other worlds. But I think it's important for us to be informed. If you guys have heard about it, Warner Bros, they basically just cancelled, but also outright deleted a ton of content, uh, successful content, like highly rated ones that ones that people were watching. Um, yeah. because they wanted to kind of write them off as losses and also wanted to stop paying royalties uh, to the creators. And, and they basically like, canceled their whole animation slate what? to save money. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is the same studio that shut down Drama Feed. Yeah, they shut, yeah. And I mean, this is on the film side, but it's related because it's like about their like financial big picture, which I think they're doing a horrible job. But like they also canceled Batgirl, which was made by, um, you know, the directing duo Adil and Bilal, yeah. um, who worked on Miss Marvel and Bad Boys for Life. Mm. I, I love them. I think they're great. Um, People were really bummed about that. 
They the canceled it when it was like 90% complete. It was going to have uh, like a woman of color as the heroine, you know, like these two Arab Belgian guys as the directors who like finally got to make a big budget superhero movie and it was probably going to be amazing. And they he, they found out that it was canceled at one of their weddings. What? Like one of them was literally at his wedding oh, when he found out it was canceled. Gosh. Um, and at the time, they were like, but we're still making the Flash movie, which like if you haven't heard, the Flash actor is a terrible person. If you want to know about them, like you can go read about it online. Um, I don't think it's going to happen now. But at the time, they were like, yeah, we're canceling Batgirl, but we're keeping the Flash. Um, they just keep making terrible decisions. Then they like brought back Henry Cavill as Superman and they made him like make an announcement. And then like Immediately. a week ago, they were like, actually, that's not happening. Sorry, Henry Cavill. Yes, psych. Yeah. So it's just a mess. It's just a mess. And poor Henry Cavill, man. He just had Witcher canceled. <laughs> or I think he, he not canceled. Like he got. He left he, Witcher yeah. to come back as Superman. Yeah. I mean, Witcher no, no, was, he was too big for I, Witcher. I don't think, I don't think it was conditional. I think he was leaving uh, Witcher uh, as it was, but like he was really hyped about coming back as Superman. But like basically they, they canceled everything. Like James Gunn came into yeah. Warner Bros and was like, yeah, none of this is working. Throw it all out. We're starting from I mean, scratch, I don't necessarily so. disagree with him. I don't But either. like, it really sucks for Henry Cavill because I think he was thinking, oh, I'm finally going to get to do the version of Superman that I've always wanted to play, which like instead he did this like dour, murderous superman like i don't think he really wanted to do that um from what he's said over the years so i think he was like finally a happy superman and they're like no sorry henry your time is over <laughs> you lost your chance fun times and then you have like uh what's happening with like netflix anime um which is interesting so a lot of animes are created by this uh public broadcast company in japan and they uh, like part of their uh internal deal is that they don't show any ads they don't have ads interrupting um these animes but netflix is now moving to uh sort of like an ad model like for for a lower tier if you want to pay less and the problem with that is like the japanese company is like yeah not on our animes so just like you have to delete everything that we uh, have licensed out to you because then you're breaking our agreement if you if you start putting ads because they have no control over what ads are going to be played on these animes right so that is an interesting thing that's going on uh, i don't know if netflix will be able to resolve it but the reason i bring it up is because again you know like new revenue models affecting what is actually going to be on streaming going forward and anime a lot of people watch anime on Netflix now. Also, Crunchyroll mm. has gotten more investment. So it's more widely available now as a streaming platform. So a lot of people are just yeah. basically just and, jumping ship from Netflix. And Crunchyroll's like streaming experience has vastly improved yeah. since like 10 years ago. when I, I like I remember trying to use it about 10 years ago and it was like horrible. And now like it's great. It's actually really, really great. And then they have like a comment section so you can like watch... <laughs> the episode and then like nerd out with like a thousand people in the com I mean it's a huge fandom right mm, and these yeah. shows are like coming out on Crunchyroll weekly mm. and people like wait and they watch them like they stay up until late and they wait I mean it's like there is still that Group live watching. community yeah. watching experience that's happening that they've mm. they've managed to like capture which like good for them which Netflix definitely does not have. No, I don't know how many people do Netflix parties. Like they always have to use like a third party plugin to like actually discuss the drama, right? But to have it right on the platform, that's smart. That's really yeah. smart. Yeah. And I think that's like one of the big things that people love about Webtoon as well is like you read the episode and then you comment and then they have like top comments and some 
sometimes the author responds and then people like lose their oh my god yeah <laughs> that would be so cool yeah that is so cool um okay and finally one other thing uh in streaming that's have been happening a lot in india which is and i'm sure in a lot of other countries which is like the number of dubbed k-dramas have gone through the roof and not only have they gone through the roof like you have local streaming platforms pushing dubbed k-dramas at their audience so recently there was this variety interview with priyanka chopra the russo brothers and chris what's his name uh the galaxy guy what's his name oh chris pratt oh <laughs> uh, yeah Correct, 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 Pratt. Uh, never mind, that was not the point. The point is, I was a Priyanka Chopra um, sort of group interview, and she mentioned that her mom watches K-dramas. And I'm like, at this point, everybody in India watches K-dramas, and it's not the way we watch it, it's it's dubbed. Um, mm, and honestly, as a purist, I hate it. Is that in and Hindi? Because it's primarily, it's in Hindi. Because it's like the most widely spoken language here. It's easy for people, like even if you're not fluent in Tell me when speaking they're Bengali. Hindi, you understand it. <laughs> there are some places are starting to do Bengali dubs, um, but like it's not as widely available. But what I found really interesting was like I went onto this local aggregate uh, streaming platform recently and I hadn't even logged in. The front page was just, K-dramas, like a wall of K-dramas, all of them in Hindi. The Korean option wasn't even there, which means that Mm. these dramas are specifically getting licensed to be dubbed and distributed in Hindi. They don't have the Korean language license. Um, So I found that very interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. It's also like a model that they've been using in other Asian countries for a long Mm. time, right? Mm. Like dubbing these. I remember talking to, there was like a friend who was from like Singapore or China or something. And she was saying that, she had been watching K-dramas on her regular TV, or maybe it was a friend from Malaysia even. Yeah. But like basically these shows would get licensed and put on TV. And because it was dubbed, they didn't actually know which country it was originally from. They just watched it, you know, like. Yeah. Agree. Interesting. So that is that is happening in India right now, probably because of a lack of um, content that's really driving traffic to these platforms locally. Mm. They're just resorting to use K-dramas. And then, you know what? On the one hand, Yes, dubbed K-dramas aren't what I would uh, want everybody to watch, but fair enough, fine. Watch K-dramas. They're at least like 900 times better written than a lot of content that's coming out locally. Wow, when will I stop bragging on my own country's content? I also, no, but I also feel like dubbing into another Asian language will... Translate better. It'll, yeah, it'll yeah. like mm. get you closer to the original language than dubbing in English, yeah. for example, which is so different from Korean. So a lot of C-dramas are also getting dubbed, by the way, not just K-dramas, but K-dramas are the ones that are really getting pushed. So the, the, the thing is, I'm complaining about dubbed dramas, and it's not like the dubbing is done so amazingly that you don't notice that it's dubbing. But after a while, you stop kind of obsessing over the bad, not bad exactly, but like, okay, dubbing. And I'm watching this historical drama, like I watched just a snippet of it. And I was like, wait, that the language, like this older Indian language that's being used um, in place of like older Korean, it actually works. It translates Mm -hmm. really well, right? Between languages. So yeah, I mean, better they watch dubbed K-dramas and Mm C-dramas than adapt. My God, I've been threatened with so many (laughs) K-drama adaptations over the last year. I just... (laughs) That's the right word, I think. It's as if like, especially Hindi cinema uh, industry has been going through like this crisis recently where they are like, nobody wants to watch what we are making. Why is that? Do people want stupider content here? Stupider content. What? <laughs> that didn't work either. What do you want? <laughs> it's, it's the dumbest crisis ever. And, and yeah. Okay. 
that's what wanted the next they want k dramas clearly they want k dramas but the way producers here look at that is that oh well you want that story i guess we can tell the same story but based in bombay and yeah totally translates fine i mean okay. i mean it's a long it's a time honored tradition right i remember watching the kramer versus kramer remake <laughs> back in the 90s the the bollywood version and i was just like yeah okay yeah, we- this is a thing it is a thing. And we have been uh, adapting from Korean films for ages. So it's not surprising that we would reach to Korean dramas. Now we've been adapting from South Indian movies so much like Telugu uh, uh, Malayalam movies for so many years. I keep saying we but like Hindi is not me. Hindi cinema is not me. I'm sitting way in Calcutta, mm. which is like the Bengali heart of India. But it feels like whenever you talk about Hindi cinema, it feels like a wide spectrum, like everybody is Hindi cinema. Um, but yeah, Hindi cinema has been adapting from South India for so long. And now South Indian uh, movies and dramas are just like widely dubbed with subtitled and watched in theaters across the country, all over the world. And they are grossing like so much higher than like the recent big hit Bollywood. And Bollywood is just like, oh my God, what can we do to get money like that? Why isn't it happening for us? I have no sympathy for them. <laughs> I'm going to say I'm not sad for Bollywood at all. Yeah, me neither. I mean, neither, for, man. for many reasons, which we should get into. Not, not another not time now. Yes. <laughs> so, as fascinating as this discussion yes. is, should we return yes. to Pedro's yes. return? Yes. Okay. So um, we wanted to now talk about um, what are like experimental formats that have been revived. Um, one that like jumped out at us, uh, I, I think Anissa's the one who pointed it out, was the mockumentary style of dramas. Um, there have been quite a few uh, examples of that, right? And so Saya brought it up and was like, is this a new thing? And I was like, I feel like this is a revival uh, that we've seen before. I mean, I remember The Producers was a new thing back in what was that, that was like new yeah when the, that was the first mockumentary style drama that i had seen in k-dramas right so how is it looking have you guys watched any of the other ones i mean i've watched a bit of law cafe and i found it refreshing because we haven't seen that style for a long time it's been quite interesting to break out of what you right. usually watch so the shows that we thought of that I, I mean maybe there are more but like we came up with a list of like law cafe salon de nabi which is was originally called Fly Butterfly, um, Love is for Suckers, Our Beloved Summer in some ways, because it's not, it kind of blurs the lines between a drama and a mockumentary in its format, which like, I'll definitely talk about this drama at length later on. So I'm not going to like go into too much. Um, but yeah, I think there was a lot of like using this as a framing device and reflecting on the story mm-hmm. and like what makes a story. I found it interesting that, for instance, do you guys remember Love Struck in the City? Uh, that was 2020, 2021. And how intensely... It, did, you, did either of you watch that drama? No, I didn't see that. I watched one episode. <laughs> okay, fair. <laughs> so I, um, it, they were like, each of the characters were more or less followed uh, with a camera all the time. And then, of course, you had like inserted segments where there were no cameras and it was just like, you know, normal K-drama scene. But then initially in the first few episodes, almost every scene was seen through the lens of the camera and the characters were very aware of the camera following them. So that 
is maybe something that didn't work very well with like I remember a lot of Kinama viewers at the time uh, domestic netizens and international ones who were like why is this it's interfering too much with the storytelling so i think what they did was they they reeled that back in these situations like again our beloved summer for instance does a really good job of like blending the format like with like a normal k drama scene with the mockumentary inserts uh, it helps progress the story but other dramas like love is for suckers or law cafe only used it sometimes and almost like out of the blue you would suddenly have these characters sitting and speaking straight to the camera and at other times it was just a normal k drama which is like 90% of the time so you had like mm. inserts of the mockumentary format but not something that was progressing the story necessarily yeah salon denabi was like that too it's basically a dra- like a regular slice of life office drama and then you have these just scenes of the each of the coworkers just sitting and talking to the camera and explaining like what their motivation was and i think like there was more of that like time wise proportionally than i saw in law cafe i'll only watch like two and a half episodes of law cafe i think there was more of like uh, an emphasis on the mockumentary in Salada Abbey, but it was still pretty subtle. Like it wasn't front and center. And I think like that's a smart way to do it, especially because in the past there has been backlash. Like we mentioned the producers. The producers started out as a full-on mockumentary and people just didn't like yeah. it. Even though like I think a lot of people I think I think interna- international yeah. K drama viewers really enjoyed mm-hmm. and I think it was really well done. But domestically, people were just yeah. like, no, we don't want this. And so I think after episode four, it was almost completely gone. Oh, really? I didn't finish that drama. <laughs> Me neither. I um, watched the whole thing. That was like, IU was so good in that. I heard about she was, how good she yeah. was. Yeah. IU and Kim Sui-Han's secondary couple were just as good as the main couple. And that was 2015, by the way, the producers. Starring Cha Tae-hyun and Gong Hyo-jin. Uh. It's a good it's a good show, despite the format change. They were great. There are so many clips of like iconic clips from producers that has me floating around on the internet, which I have watched. I almost feel like I've watched the drama, even <laughs> though I haven't actually finished it. It's a good show. It's a good show, yeah. Um the next uh, thing that we wanted to talk about is how this was a year where you had uh, streaming services like Disney and Apple TV sort of up like the whole production and format game by getting into K-dramas with Pachinko and with uh, Dr. Brain. And Dr. Brain was a last year drama, wasn't Dr. it? Dr. Brain was actually last yeah. year, but yeah. Apple definitely like upped its game this year because Pachinko yeah. was such a huge high profile. Like I think Dr. Brain didn't really get much non-K-drama fan attention whereas pachinko is it's on a lot of people's like best tv of the year list like people who normally only watch american tv so it definitely upped its game and it was and it had like you know really high profile actors including um oh my god why can't i remember our iconic no 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 not him (laughs) he's fine but i'm talking about the american guy she got no 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 she got best supporting actress for minari oh yun yo jung yes exactly thank you sorry yun yo jung i can't believe i forgot your name (laughs) Um, she became like an icon at least for american audiences Mm -hmm. i don't know about like the rest but like because of her interviews and her performance in minari and then like her oscar accepted speech oh my god that was so funny all the interviews that she gave when she was like on the campaign trail for that movie like she's become beloved to a lot of americans Mm. um and so like that also became a reason why people watched pachinko and pachinko is also like 
extremely famous book. An English yeah. language True. book as well, right? Yeah, it's a, it's originally in English. Mm. So a, a bit of a non sequitur here, but do you guys think that Disney has been licensing a lot of like the weirder K dramas, like um, you know, uh, Link, uh, Lovey Die, Kill. or Kiss Six Sense? Disney is really weird because like I was there are some shows that came out on like Asian Disney, but they weren't available mm. on American Disney Plus, and then like. My sister was telling me that recently, like in the last couple of months, a whole bunch, like a few K-dramas have showed up on Disney Plus. And before, like we weren't getting any K-drama. Mm. Like I remember when Snowdrop came out, mm. Americans couldn't actually watch it yeah. legally. Like there was no way for us to, it was only on like other region Disney Plus. So I don't know, like I am guess they had some kind of licensing mm. drama happening behind the scenes. Mm. It's difficult to get a read on what Disney's tone is for the dramas that they produce. Yeah, it seems to be not at all cohesive. Like you yeah. know what a Netflix drama right, is. Exactly. It, it is a look. When you hear it's produced by yeah. Netflix, you yeah. have a sort of a general idea, depending on genre, how that drama is going to look. Right? I don't think Disney has a strategy. They probably just like saw that everyone went crazy for Squid Game and he was and then they were like, right, yeah. this is a mini maker. We yeah. need to get into it. And they probably just like bought whatever right. they could get their hands on. And the other thing yeah. that I find a little disorientating and we have talked about it a little, but the way that the presence of the streaming platforms has thrown out the K-drama rule book or the manual for like, you know, episode counts and the types of story. But like particularly, I know episode counts doesn't sound like a big deal, but there is a certain comforting rhythm. Yeah, right, exactly. Which allows yeah. you to understand the beats of the story, what to expect at what point. And mm. when you get like there's no formula to it. You know, something is seven episodes, something is six episodes, something is 12 episodes, something is 11 episodes. Uh, and you're just like, this is disorientating. But maybe that's just me. Because like, I even agree. Netflix dramas do sort of generally cohere to the general K-drama model, even if they are a bit more flexible. Like they're more likely Not to go Netflix for... Not Netflix originals. Netflix That's originals true. adhere to yeah. the international model of eight episodes. Mm, but then they have sixes and then they have you know yeah. fours so. but it's like the ones that they are distribution partners to mm. they are still adhering to like the 16 episode model but you know where this showed the most like the the weirdness of like episode count alchemy of souls how they turned something that was supposed to be a single season 20 episode into a two-parter uh, with a three-month break in between, where the first part was 20 episodes, the second part was 10 episodes. Mm -hmm. And it's very clear that this was not what they had planned ahead of time. Um, I did this whole rambly video about like when I think the writers decided to extend it. And you can see that it was halfway through the airing because Alchemy of Souls was doing really well. They kind of decided, hey, let's extend it. But like, you know how like old old K-dramas used to get extended where it would be like... Yeah, episode extension, except this time it yeah. was a season extension. It was a season extension. And, yeah, and the, the problem with that is, now the season is still ongoing, so I don't want to comment on like the overall quality of the thing. But they had to restart the feeling of the story. Like it had to... You know how K-dramas have a thing, even with like the darker, grittier one, where initial episodes are all fluffy and funny, then they progressively get more intense. So they got to like the epic intensity in episode 20, end of part one, and then three months pass, and then the show restarts uh, supposedly three years later, and the, the tone has gone back down to funny and ridiculous, oh. which is so jarring mm. for anybody who's going to watch this thing later on. It will not feel like one cohesive story. Yeah. There is a lot of choices that they made 
which makes no sense if you're telling one single story, mm-hmm. which this is a single story, supposed to be a continuation. But there is this particular character, like a secondary character, a prince, who is a very complex and interesting character. He's not the lead. But like he got to, by the end of part one, he got to a point where he made a very dark decision. And then we are in episode five of part two, which is halfway through, and he's he's having this silly moment where he's like, well, the hero has been nice to me. Maybe he doesn't hate me. Why were you nice to me? And it, it, it's a really stupid, really extent. Wow, I said I'm not going to comment on the quality of the second. The Let's pause there then. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we? Let's go back to what we were talking about, which is like trends. Mm-hmm. And yes, it is interfering. Streaming is interfering majorly with episode counts. And that is sometimes creating situations like this. Mm. You know, that's... What you just said about having really dark and intense dramas. I feel like it's also been a year of polar opposites in that. Like you have those very dark, intense ones. And then like in opposition, we also had a lot of youth slash coming of age dramas and these sort of lighter toned summer dramas, which I didn't watch. So you guys should talk about them. (laughs) I agree. There were a lot of them. And again, this is what I appreciated about like the smorgasbord that we were handed (laughs) this year is that... Dramas like Goss Electronics, uh, Therese, Webtoon, or even dramas like Our Blues, Summer Strike, they, they were so refreshing to the palate. There are years where you have like four, five standout dramas, maybe more, and then the rest of them are very average. Mm. This was a year where a lot of dramas were above average. And... Mm. That, on the one hand, overwhelms you because you want to watch them. But then you're like, oh, my God, I just can't. My brain won't let <laughs> me. But on the other hand, there are so many dramas. Like, if I just look at my list, like I have ranked them in my personal list. I have easily like the dramas that I have ranked, uh, let's say at least uh, eight on 10 stars. I have 16 dramas. I have mm. never had this many dramas wow. that I've ranked this high. T- a lot of take-home dramas. And like most of these are dramas that I will probably go back and rewatch at some point. If not completely, but then in parts. But they were that good. So, okay, this is something that we should probably also hand to Dramaland 2022. Is that even though a lot of people felt like they were in a slump, mm. the overall quality of writing for a lot of these dramas were really, really high. Mm. And there was something for everyone, right? And there was something yeah. for everyone. Yeah. One of the things I was noticing as well is that we didn't, I mean, you said there's something for everyone, but I think maybe like there were less of those supernatural, high concept, experimental, not experimental, like speculative, speculative. Yes. There were less of those speculative type dramas. I mean, we had them. They didn't do well. Yeah. There weren't a lot of like high profile, really buzzy ones, Mm -hmm. you know, even stuff that like didn't end up uh, living up to our expectations necessarily. You know, like the, um, oh my gosh, what was the name of the Pakshane um, Josungu drama from last year? Oh, Sisyphus. Oh, Sisyphus. Sisyphus. Yeah. yeah, like even if it ended up disappointing some people or a lot of people, like it was a big drama that a lot of people talked mm-hmm. about. We were, you know, like I don't think that there was like that kind of like sci-fi or speculative show this year. Yeah. But I feel like there were a lot of these like ordinary stories about regular people, whether they were um, office dramas, which we had a lot of office dramas um, and they were mostly very good. We had, you know, you mentioned 
dramas with like a summer tone. There were a lot of youth coming of age dramas. There were these uh, behind the scenes celebrity mm, dramas. They were fun. <laughs> like, they were very fun. Those were fun. <laughs> that was like a whole, there were like four of them. Yeah. Um, and I think like there was a lot of like regular life on display. Mm-hmm. And I wonder mm-hmm. if, I mean, I'm just having this thought now, so maybe it's not fully formed, but I wonder if it's like coming out of the pandemic. Yeah. There's a lot of reflection on what is ordinary life and also this sort of nostalgia for ordinary life mm-hmm. while we're also trying to return to it. Yeah. And I and I think there were also a lot of dramas that were nostalgic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this struck me when I was watching 2521 and in the present day timeline, it's actually COVID. And so you're seeing Naido's daughter like they're wearing masks when she yeah. goes to her recitals. You know, they have like the COVID checkpoint where they're like getting their temperature checks. And then you have this like nostalgic, beautiful. I mean, it's there's a lot of drama and pain in the 90s timeline, too. But it's like it's framed as this like simpler house in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I and we did have a lot of those nostalgia dramas to the point where I actually like made a category in the Gogoma poll about it because I I was like oh this is a we had a lot of them mm-hmm. this year I mean we usually have at least one but yeah. so I, I don't know maybe that's what's behind all these like slice of life shows that we had this year I mean we always have them but I feel like they were in a higher we definitely had year. more this year we also had a lot of healing dramas something yes. that I, I was seeing a lot of um, people talk about this on Twitter that they were just like had it with like healing dramas <laughs> way too many this year. they're healed enough thank you very much give me some more go <laughs> yeah but I think the reason the healing dramas actually they did quite well tomorrow did really well um, if you wish upon me did really mm. well so I, I think it's because there there is a time and you don't even know but like you kind of want to cry and and some of these dramas like through the storytelling really excellent storytelling mm. kind of lets you go through that catharsis and that's that's really helpful. Yeah. For me, tomorrow was really helpful. It has absolutely nothing to do with my life. <laughs> None of the stories were relatable, but it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, aside from like the one with the dog, I mean, that just stabbed me in every part of my heart. But I think the fact that it doesn't have to do with your life is a feature, not a bug, you know? No, like absolutely. It's, not, it's, it's really cathartic to be able to cry about somebody else's problem when you mm. need to cry about your problem, but you can't, you know? Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. It's really comforting. You know, it's interesting that like we can understand that all of these stories are coming out as a process of grieving and as a way of processing what the last few years have been like, like collectively society, mm. living in the pandemic and emerging from it. But I think it's kind of fun. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right word. That this time last year, we were processing this through happiness, the drama happiness, which yeah. was so good. Um, So good. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, I said what I wanted to say about it last year but I just yeah. wanted to put well, that uh, as, yeah last year yeah. it was kind of the big moments were like squid game and mm. happiness right which are very well, different yeah. ways of approaching yeah. <laughs> this particular kind of existential problem mm. also I don't know if this is quite a trend but I saw quite a few dramas where friends uh, realize that they have feelings for each other and like 
something finally happened. And one of the first ones this year was probably Soundtrack, um, mm. which also had fucking uh, Shik. <laughs> I wonder if that's also kind of in line of the of, with the trend of healing dramas, because that's like a much more gentle kind of love story. It's mm. less high drama than some. Well, I don't know about Love is for Suckers. I, I heard that <laughs> kind of derailed in the second half. I only watched the first half. But like there's a safety in a friends to lovers mm. situation that does not exist in a meeting a stranger and getting to know them and falling in love. Mm. Like there's just a different level. Like even if you have more investment and thus like you're more torn about like, oh, is it worth me ruining this friendship because of my feelings? There's still mm. that like at bottom, like I like I love and trust this person and I know that they're not going to hurt me. Mm. Yeah. You might be wrong about that, you know, <laughs> but you know, that's the assumption that you're going in with it. So I wonder if that like kind of fits in with the the whole theme of yeah. gentler stories. Pro- probably. This makes me wonder, given how dramas do tend to reflect on the things that happen in real life, uh, especially in Korea. And like, for example, in the wake of the Seoul disaster, there were a lot of dramas that, although they weren't, you wouldn't necessarily be able to directly map the story onto the events. They were Mm -hmm. designed to process that grief and to, you know, to put that kind of injustice on display. So I wonder if in the coming year, we'll see dramas that one way or another reference the Itaewon um incident yeah Yeah. Mm. the crowd crush yeah that makes sense this is kind of it's not k-drama related but i've noticed that in american films this year there's been a lot of movies by big name hollywood directors that have basically been a sort of like nostalgic love letter to movie making Mm. Um, and i've seen some speculation that either it's because they know that Hollywood is kind of dying in the way that they grew up with and loved. You know, like Spielberg's Hollywood is not yeah. really... I don't think it's going to be around for very much longer it's if it Netflix even still exists well with the way that like... <laughs> yeah, and you know, like the way that people watch movies mm. has just changed so fundamentally. Like not a lot of people know why they should go and see a movie in the big mm. theater. And even if they do want to, it's only going to be for those like big event blockbuster type movies. And so like some people have said that that's kind of like their love letter to a dying industry. And other people have been saying that maybe it's just a way to sort of revive the feeling of the magic of movies that we kind of lost during the pandemic and trying to like, you know, get back to it. So I don't know. That's something that is also kind of of the moment that I was thinking about. Yeah. yeah. Did you guys think that there was just like a distinct lack of corruption courtroom dramas this year? Like there were a few. Oh, they were there. We just didn't watch them. I just didn't, was not interested in watching them. <laughs> do, do you think they were there in, in the same number as previous years? But like there were just so many workplace <laughs> and slice of life dramas that it feels like no, you you know, know in what? proportion. They just... were there and Lee Kyung Young was in all of them. If that's even <laughs> God. <laughs> Yeah. That's yes. There's a person you never yeah. need to see on screen again. Damn. Retire, man. Retire already. <sighs> yeah. Since nobody's going to kick you out. You're already in disgrace. Just be gone. Yeah. I definitely think that there were shows I would have watched if it wasn't for him. He just turned up in every show that I was watching. And yeah. Okay. Why is he so liked? I mean, he—I mean—he's a good act. Like I liked him before I found out Knew that he about was, it. you know, a sexual. Yeah, predator. me too. I yeah. really liked him. He makes a very complex villain. He's a good. He plays a good mm. villain. I guess now we know why, right? Like <laughs> that's what makes it worse, actually, because you look at yeah. him and you're like, you feel the sort of the magnetism of uh, like the likability that is 
sort of the the soft sheath around the evil within. Right. And you're like, oh, I see how you got away with, you know, so much in your life. Yeah. And why am I being asked to be complicit in that yeah. by like watching you on screen? And yeah, it's gross. It's really. Mm. Well, that's a, a horrible yeah. note to leave it on. Can we leave it on a better note? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, she says after ruining the tone of the episode. Well, part two is going to be the Gogoma Awards. Yes. So maybe we'll just look <laughs> forward to yakking about that. Let's instead. do that. So this is a, the fourth annual Goguma Awards, which is crazy to me that we've been doing this for four years. But if you don't know who Goguma is, um, he is our our mascot, our Gak, that is on all of our um, branding. And also I've created these mugs for us, which um, if you are on Patreon, we will post a picture of us with our mugs. I still need to get Boromas to her. Yeah, I'm the only one who's posing with just my regular <laughs> bottle while these the guys are face. like, here, here, here are our amazing mugs, which are... Which yes. have a yak on one side and has like a, a, a throwaway line I said a few years back. And these guys remembered. And uh, Anissa, Anissa, tell them how you made the mug. Because that's... Yeah, so there's a place near our in our town called Paint Your Pot where you can um, they have like raw ceramic. And you can just go and paint it yourself and then they'll glaze it for you in a kiln. And then, you know, like if you put glaze on and it makes and they and they fire it, it becomes this like really shiny kind of like the how like finished ceramic. It looks so good. <laughs> yeah. So my like we had gone a couple of times as like a just a something to do, like me and my sister um, and my mom. And so they have mugs. And so I like I was like, why don't we have like because we were thinking like we should have something that like I wanted us to all have like the same thing, <laughs> but yeah. in our that we can, you know, like use this so then i came up with this idea of like doing and I, I had made a plan to visit saya um which like if you haven't heard me and saya met in real life because i went to see her for for a week in <laughs> england and friends. it was exciting and amazing <laughs> and, yeah and like despite saya's unfounded worries we still are friends um which was amazing like before anisa like a, a day before anisa was flying out to uk saya's like Will we even like each other when we meet? <laughs> like, this is not something that we need to worry about. Like, don't worry. Um, um, yeah, it was okay, really, so, it was so really the, good. The point is that Anissa handmade these mugs. I have yet to receive mine, but they all look so amazing. And oh, uh, what's the, uh, the and, and like on one side of the mug, you have our Goguma. And on the other side of the mug, you have homebody slugs. Which yeah, is- it says, let's be homebody slugs, which is kind of a thing that we said once in like episode 67 or something. And we've just remembered it because it's very... It, it's perfect. Very it, us. It, yeah. it, it, it's us. So, okay. Yeah. So after that detour into Mugland, uh, coming back. So that's that's Gokuma. He's very important yeah. to us. So- <laughs> that's Gokuma. Yes, we love him very much. Um yeah, so so I think was it last year was the was last year the first year Borma that we included listener voting? Yes, last right? year was definitely the first year. Yeah, and so Borma, you know, tabulated listener voting and it was 
Um, last year, it was basically like the top three dramas that listeners had enjoyed that year and the most disliked drama. So this year, we decided to expand that into a lot more categories. And so we had a poll. And thank you if you voted in the poll. Thanks for voting. We were like, only a few people will. Uh, I think I remember it being like, oh, like, it's not like 100 people are going to vote. It's going to be a very small number. And then like, when I closed the poll, it was 99 people. So <laughs> very nice number. Hey. I was anticipating 20 people. <laughs> I was thinking like 40, you know. But yeah. yeah, I'm so glad that people voted. Thanks for voting because it's really fun because then we don't know what the result is going to be. And that's 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 cool. Yeah. So eligibility wise, I mean, we talked about this in part one. It was very hard to like nail down what would be eligible, but it's basically the same dramas that were in the K-drama tracker that Parma made. Um so basically, the main thing is that they're somewhat substantial in length, and they premiered between December 1st, 2021 and November 30th, 2022. So we're going to start with the kind of silly categories, and then we're going to end on the big categories, like most beloved dramas and things like that. Oh, and I just wanted to also say that, like, if you want to see the full list of winners and, you know, proportions and second places and all that... Um, and categories, we'll post that later on the blog. So, but for now, we're just going to mention pretty much just the winners. So the first one is Craziest Premise, Best Execution. And the winner with 16.1% is... Alchemy of Souls, part one. <laughs> I think part two wasn't eligible, right? So we just had it wasn't eligible, one. but even if it was eligible, it would not be eligible. <laughs> We can we can leave that to deserve the same accolades. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I guess thematically relevant, the next one is best first half, worst second half, and with seventeen point two percent, far ahead of its competitors is <laughs> extraordinary attorney woo. Do I say woo or woo? I don't know. <laughs> Both accepted. Both answers are accepted. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I that agree was, with that the one. next drama was like nine point two percent. That was a business proposal, so it, it was not a it was not an intense. Competition. I think that's because enough people didn't watch Again My Life. Ah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just wasn't as popular. So this one is very close to my heart. Most iconic heroine with twenty five percent is Nahido from twenty five twenty one, played by. Actress Kim Tae-ri. Oh my gosh, she was amazing. She How? was so good. That would have been my vote too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. My vote to go goes to her too. People knew that she was a good actress. We all knew she was a good actress, right? Yeah, she's a film actress originally. Yeah, like, but with Mr. Sunshine, she kind of came to TV for us. But this was something else entirely. And I remember having doubts about the casting yeah. when we talked about this. I was like, really? A teenager? Kim Teddy? And she killed it. Oh, she killed oh it. It was just like perfect in tone, behavior, body language, everything. It's unbelievable. Very well deserved. Yeah. And in second, there was Pak and Bin for Extraordinary Turn You. That was like 16.3%. And then for Best Hero, which is also called the You Nice Keep Going Award. <laughs> Thanks, Saya. That's a BTS reference if you didn't get that. Um, with 18.7% is... Ichi Uki. 
in Alchemy of Souls playing the character Janguk. I am saying this with Yay! more pep than I know <laughs> is needed because I have no idea what the character was like, but... <laughs> he deserves it! He deserves it! <laughs> yes. Though I did not watch Beyond Episode 1, I'm always here for some Ijeok accolades. He's a good boy. He was a very good boy mm. uh, <laughs> in Alchemy of Souls. Ijeok, you nice. Keep going. Yay! <laughs> yes, he is nice. Oh, question. I know this is the wrong place for this question, but I'm just going to ask because I really want to know. Is it still worth watching season one despite what happened in season two? Alchemy of Souls? No, watch both yeah. seasons. Like, I'm <laughs> okay. complaining because I'm a hardcore fan, but okay, I'm okay. going to like force it down everybody's throat for like years to come. <laughs> okay, good. Because I watched one episode and then I stopped, but I was like, I'm going to come back to this. So also, that's good to know. Also, if you are a Jung Soo-min uh, fan, you absolutely like, if you even liked her in, in something before, you're not going to want to miss part one because she mm. just, she is stunning. She's so good. Next is Peak Nostalgia. And this was, I got to tell y'all, a landslide. And two dramas took uh, 80% of the votes. Oh, wow. More than 80%. <laughs> yeah. So we had, with 57.1%, we had... 25.21. And then in second place, with 25.3%, we had Our Beloved Summer. Ah. So, okay. Those I was two actually, dramas took the majority of the votes. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. Mm. That It just, it, it did hit us uh, very much and like, uh, you know... Yeah, I mean, twenty five, twenty one was the the drama that I had in my mind when I created this award. But then when I started looking at the list of shows that came out this year, um, there were like six dramas that could this could have applied to. So that was interesting trend too. Okay, next we have great title by the way, Saya. <laughs> my second life was my best life, <laughs> and the winner is and with eighty four point three percent, the winner is Reborn Rich. Sung Joon-ki <laughs> killing it to the max. I can't wait to start the show. Yeah. I'm so excited. And what's this. his name? Lee Sung-min, right? Who I think everyone has forgotten so by cool. now. Yeah, I mean, everyone's forgotten that he I have not forgotten. How dare you, Sang? Lee Sung-min, live in my heart forever. How forget Sang? That's just not possible. Yes. Manager O is going to live in my heart forever. Yes. But, you know, like the, the, the drastic difference, like... The change in like the mannerism and the looks in, in this character, what he's doing in Reborn Rich, like you could almost not recognize him as manager. Oh, oh you don't. Missing, you I don't recognize him like at all. Years. Not surprising yeah. because that man can do anything. Yeah. He's, he's just, he's no magic. Like when he was yeah. introduced, I didn't even realize he was a main character. I thought he was just going to die. But nope, turns out he's lead. <laughs> He's lead. And oh my God, he's like the co-lead. Like you would think that Son Jung-ki would be like the most interesting. No, no, it's Lee Sung-min. Mm. It's like when he's on the scene and especially his scenes with Son Jung-ki, that's when you're like, oh my God, I want the next yeah, like episode the right now. tension between the two of them is so amazing. I have I have never had like a Harabuji, you know, grandson pairing <laughs> that was this like just oh full my God. of mm. charisma and like, like, like this, this. Why don't we just stop recording? I'll go start that show. Do it immediately after we finish recording. Because once you go in, you're not going to come out. That's why I've waited. I was like, I need to watch the other. I need to finish the other shows. <laughs> I literally binge watched 
six episodes of Our Beloved Summer yesterday, so I wouldn't be able to. But anyway, the next one is Take Pity on Your Manager, which was about all of the behind the scenes entertainment agency dramas that we had this year. And the winner with 85.3% is Shooting Stars. Shooting Stars. You had to say it. Which is not surprising. It, it was, yeah, of course. It was, it was the good. most entertaining it was so uh, of all the ones that came out this year. And it was the most watched, I think. Kim Young-dae was such a a gift in this drama. I would not have pegged <laughs> him great. as having leading men capabilities. But he was very good. And um, yes. like, what's her name is always He proved amazing. himself. Lee Sung-kyung. Lee Sung-kyung. Yeah. yeah, she's always good. The next one is most sincere depiction of grief. As we talked about, there were a lot of healing dramas this year. And with 40.3%, the winner was... Tomorrow. I think with this year's, it did have quite a lot of those suicide dramas, which... Do we need a content warning for this? I'm not going to say any more than that. Um, Yeah. It had this episodic structure, but... It really worked. Like I'm sitting here still feeling the healing vibes coming down, but not. No, I don't really know how to talk about it. Mm. But I think maybe that's what it did. It allowed you to not need to talk and just work through your emotions. Yeah. Yeah. And a close second was uh, um, If You Wish Upon Me with 29.2%. So both of those did the same thing, kind of. Like they'd have these very difficult, stories the thing with tomorrow is that it had a lot more sort of injustice based grief so people would be driven to the edge by awful things that had happened to them and the drama did a lot of this sort of it's not your fault messaging which i think a lot of us need a lot of the time ah you're right Mm. like the world is a truly awful place and people can be truly evil it is not your fault you deserve mm. to live. That's an important message. Something else I found that was really important in the drama for me personally, which was that we know that uh, South Korea explores uh, a lot of religious motifs. Mm. But one of them, an important one, being uh, the fact that suicide is you know, looked upon in a certain way yeah. um, in, in Christianity. And you had the main character, uh, played by Rowan, constantly ask why the people who are pushed to that stage, um, why are they punished after death? Why is it that they have sinned when they were pushed to that point? And the drama tries to make, tries to sympathetically give an answer. Now, it's never very satisfactory, but then I think the point was never to give like a perfect answer. The point was more to sort of like explore how it's important to help people so that they don't reach that point. And to take the blame off people for, yeah, as you say, there was, there's such a, a belief that, oh, if you've like been driven to that point, it's because of yourself. Like there's something that you could have done. That it was a failing in the person who made that decision. Yeah, and the drama was saying actually the failing isn't a personal one. It's a systemic one. It's society mm-hmm. failing people. And it's even, you know, religion failing people. It's structures that are bigger than individuals that are failing them. 
that are putting them in these places. And that's very relatable. Mm. Yeah. One point, something that I really enjoyed, um, like structures and religions sometimes calcify, right? Something mm-hmm. that was being done um, through customs like 100 years ago are still sort of enforced today. And you kind of see that in tomorrow where you had like the same grim reapers doing the same job for hundreds of years. And they were like, well, at certain points, they were like, well, this custom needs to change. Like casteism, for instance, in mm-hmm. South Korea, when that started societally changing, and how that was reflected in like the dramas, uh, you know, in, in the drama storyline, The Heavens There. I just liked that there was an acknowledgement that religion can and should change at pace with society as society evolves. And it was just nice. I've never seen that done before. And I was like really surprised that they even went there. So that was that was just something. That yeah, because it opens that. with that premise, doesn't it? Are we talking about it too much in detail? It, okay, <laughs> I, let, let's I don't think you've spoken there. about it yeah. at all, but like, yeah. yeah. It's it. It was a really memorable drama. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's important to bring up because we did give um, if you uh, wish upon me a whole episode and go listen to that. <laughs> um, and on the same theme, sort of the same theme, comfort rather than healing. What was the best old school comfort watch with eighty three point three percent? It was a business proposal. And I heartily agree with this um, for at least like 60% of the drama. <laughs> yeah, let's just no, pretend I agree. the last two Despite how happen. disappointing it ended up being, it did provide mm. a lot of old school yeah. comfort. And it was very funny. Yeah, it was very funny. It was like genuinely laugh out loud funny. And especially in the first half, whenever they referred back to something that like a trope from like the early 2000s or 2010s, it was it was done in like the most like it subverted um, wholesome them. way. Yeah. yeah, like sometimes it subverted them. Sometimes it was like the most wholesome version mm-hmm. of that trope, like the 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 older drama that was playing in the background. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it wasn't necessarily subverting mm. everything, but there was this like fondness mm. in the way that it was like so tropey, but with like this sort of understanding between the show and the viewer that like mm. we love this trope, we're not ashamed of loving this trope. Yeah. It exactly. gives us joy, you know, like Until it didn't. But it but it also like they tried to do it in like a non-problematic mm-hmm. way. I don't know what happened in the second half because that kind of went away. But in the first half. Mm-hmm. In the first half it was so good. Yeah. Yeah. And and it should get high marks just for that. <laughs> Absolutely. Also, this is not old school, but just the whole like Archaeopteryx sound <laughs> every time she would call her. It just it evoked a little like picture. It evoked the comfort of the old school dramas while not feeling dated, right? Like it was very modern uh, while having those yeah. emotions of the sort of, of a simpler time, I guess. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think like all of us recognize that it's problematic when you have this the very basic kind of Cinderella story. Mm. And like this show was like, yeah, but also let's acknowledge how much we actually enjoy this fantasy. Mm, it's true. okay. Like just eat your candy, you know? <laughs> it was fine. Yeah. It was candy. Until it wasn't. And then, t- yeah. yeah. But, you know, oh, yeah. We- we've talked yes. about that at length <laughs> at this point. So, yeah. The next one is Top of Their Game Award, which I was happy to say was well represented with amazing women. Um, but the winner with 24.2% is someone who is well overdue for an award from us. And that is Kim Hesu in Under the Queen's Umbrella. And coming second with how much of the vote? 23.1%. A very close second is Kim Go-un 
in Little Women. And you meet Sills, You meet Sills. Does that count? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we put, yeah, you're right. I put Little Women here, but she was also in You Me Sells this year. And I didn't watch part two, but I mean, she was amazing. She's been killing it. Both of these two have been killing it for a few years. So long overdue for their Gogumas, which I'm sure they'll be extremely honored by. I think not only are they overdue in general for their performances over many years and their like incredible careers, but also I think this year, both of them got to do really interesting roles like the kind of roles they really deserve in dramas where they were not overshadowed by the male leads you know like Kim Goon has done a lot of amazing show roles but she's generally been like with big name actors and like male lead characters that really like sucked the oxygen Mm -hmm. out of the drama like Goblin yes she was great in (laughs) that (laughs) but (laughs) <laughs> yeah even oh well yeah obviously um but even it but even when the male lead maybe when the actor was like deserving of that mm. taking all the oxygen which like i don't think that even ho was <laughs> it was still not her show yeah. you know goblin mm. literally he's in the title he's the title character the king too yeah. it's about the king you know like so these were roles where and kim so as well like she was great in signal but she ultimately was this supporting third yeah. character mm. but then there was that Juji Hun drama as well. Hyena. She was incredible in Hyena. Deserved a lot of awards for that. She was kind of the main. She carried that drama. Mm. There's something about Kim Hae-soo channeling her rage and intensity that just... Yes. I I don't know too many actors who can do it the way she can. She has, like, style. She also did Juvenile Justice this year. None of us watched it. Well, we just... We were not a game for, like, the premise. (laughs) Nope. I was like, Kim Hae-soo, I'm kind of disappointed that you're... I mean, I didn't watch the drama, but like from the from the previews, I was just like, this ain't it. This is not for me. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm I'm not on board with a story about like judging teenagers and saying they're going to be rotten for the rest of their life because they got into the juvenile system. Or judges becoming vigilantes. Like, dude, just be yeah. a good yeah, judge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the second <laughs> part that was bad. That's right. Like you've already got all the power, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. The next one is our scene stealer award. Snuck in and stole the show. And we had a lot of scene stealers, but by a landslide with 46.7%. It was Kang Young in Extraordinary Attorney Wu playing the effervescent attorney Jung Myung Sook. Oh my God, Myung Sookie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's been stealing the show in everything he's done for Uh, many years, but I think this was like the best, the best that he's ever done. This is absolutely like his, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. (laughs) I mean, even like, even like he would have like these micro facial expressions or like the way he would be like agree, like sometimes when like um, Youngwoo would say something to him and he was like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, like that moment. Way- <laughs> right, exactly. That little like reaction would, where he he's like, like, he would have something that would come to the tip of his tongue and then he would like visually, like you could see him swallowing it down. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, so, so good. good. So good. Yeah. I think he's up for a male lead role yeah. next. Good. He deserves it. I'm very it. excited for. Also, I will never forget him saying, remove the underwear from your heart. <laughs> and Secretary Kim, that was like. Best best line of the whole drama. Yeah. <laughs> I want to have to give a shout out to this other actress because I don't think we're going to talk about her at all otherwise. Um, so in second place with 32.6% oh. was um, 
Sohewan, who plays the heroine's bestie's cousin in A Business Proposal, was just amazing. <laughs> like, if you didn't watch it, she was, she was you so know, this fr- friend of cousin, not friend of me, cousin of me. Her line where she was like, you know, I have no chingu. Yeah, like she always had like the same outfit as the heroine's bestie. And like they were like low key competing with each other. And then like she always would bring in like all this like ridiculous English to all her lunch. Just so funny. Also, the actress who plays her is so cute and charismatic. She's very, very cute. She's got a pretty substantial role in Alchemy of Souls. So I'm really happy oh, that really? her career is taking off. Yeah. Nice. But not as that character. The business proposal character was a really great character that could really have its own show. Yeah, that is that is so true. Like she could, she t- totally could have had her yeah. own show. Yes, a spinoff. <laughs> yeah, starring her. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, do you ever find like sometimes you have these characters and like you put them to bed once that drama's over, and you're just like, well, that's a waste of a character who could have been yeah. used for much longer. But she, she has so much versatility. Do, do you guys realize that she did a guest role in Attorney Wu? She did? Yeah, she was like the, this this uh, wife or girlfriend. Oh, she was like the, the owner of like a, a gambling hell type thing. And she helped yes, one yes. of the... Yeah, like, she was the coffee uh, the cafe owner. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no, like she owned like the under the table coffee right, business right, right, that was right. operating at the under the table gambling business. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like she, she's she, just she, she. That's exactly what I mean. Like she can do all sorts of characters, and I'm and I, she's getting a lot of roles, so I'm really happy that she's getting recognized. Yeah, I want to see her as a lead in a comedy because oh. her comedy chops are incredible. I think she might actually get there. She is one of those actors you can kind of see her like the way she's choosing her roles is very strategic. She's slowly climbing to like the that point so fingers crossed that happens for her yeah so so hey one we're rooting for you yes <laughs> the next one is um perhaps my my favorite category <laughs> sorry for the snark without <laughs> you know me um it's most evolved actor or what i really wanted to call it finally growth <laughs> and the most voted for person um, who won this category with 48.8% is Nam Ji Hyuk in 2521. I'm very happy to hear this because the last time I saw him, apart from Weightlifting Fairy, the first time I saw him, I guess, his uh, idea of acting was acting with a capital A was to look constipated all the time. Was this school 2015? (laughs) Yeah, it was actually. (laughs) He just... Oh, yeah, so bad. Uh, <laughs> I was really blown away by his performance in 2521. I mm. was like, it, you know, like some people you see them over many years and they're like slowly improving. Mm. And sometimes people are just not that great. They're green. They're, you know, they're really trying for a few roles. And then like they just have this breakthrough role. And like I haven't watched his most recent stuff. But to me, it felt like this one was just like. You know, he was like jogging in place and then he just like sprinted over the finish line like, without us even having any expectations. Like I have always liked him, but you're absolutely right. He totally broke through some kind of like stagnation and, and he just reached another level with 2521. Do you think this is the character or will the skill translate into other roles? It's hard to tell I don't right think now. It's- you know, I don't think it's just the character because I also felt a difference in his screen presence and his charisma. Mm. And that's like that's rare. You know, like thing. there are people who have like charisma and screen presence and they can't act. Mm. And that's why they get these 
high profile roles sometimes because they have they have it whatever it is <coughs> and they haven't like developed to the. Uh. <laughs> um, he's in second place, by the way, for Pachinko at twenty six point three percent. I thought he deserved a coffee shout out at least. <laughs> yeah, um, and 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 I also I also wanted to point out that Kim Young Day got twenty one percent of the voting too. Yes, um, and he also did that thing where he just like emerged out of the being a wallflower he's much earlier in his career that's so. that's that's what i wanted to point out he is very new though so this this for him it's not so much breaking out of stagnation for him it's like getting a, an opportunity to yeah really flex, flex like yeah. yeah whereas for these other actually veteran actors like namjoo hyuk is a veteran actor at this point he's been yeah. in the industry like 10 years and Imino has um, been coasting yeah. on the success of Boys Over Flowers <laughs> for over no, 10 City years Hunter. at this point. He's been coasting on City Hunter. That's what, like, he's just... I mean, I uh, guess, but he would never have gotten City Hunter if he didn't play Gu Jin Pyo. Sure. And that was not... Anyway, we don't need to relitigate <laughs> my, my, my disappointment in Imino. But I want to say... in. Pachinko, he blew me away and I was and I was ready. I was like expecting him to be really good because I've been wanting him to play someone who was not the hero for mm. a really long time. And it just seemed like a really lazy choice either on his on his part or maybe his agency's part of just being like, oh, like I'm the cool hero. I'm a human clothes hanger. I'm just going to look pretty and be the hero for the rest of my career. And I was getting really annoyed by that. And in The King, I just like reached my limit. And I was like, after two episodes, I was like, I'm out, boy. Like, you need to do something else. But the thing else. is, The King was also the showcase for what he could do if he was allowed to be a villain towards the end, if you stuck around that long. Well, no, because I was gone by yeah. then because I didn't have that much patience. But in Pachinko, he is... He got to like dig into that greasy, ugly, like complicated because he has the charisma and it was time for him to use that the way that like a villain uses their charisma. You know, and it was such a perfect role because that's his whole character is like he manipulates the heroine into doing what he wants because he has this human clothes hanger type <laughs> quality of like looking really good in a suit and a fedora and like he's rich and he's he's like what a table would actually be like in real life you know mm. yeah i mean it's complicated by the whole colonial you know situation yeah. of course he's not at the top of the food chain because he's still korean but like a person with that much wealth and power usually doesn't get it because they're a fluffy bunny mm. with a heart of gold and a secret pain in their past. <laughs> they're usually just very, they're very cutthroat and they're willing to do whatever to get ahead in the yeah. world. And that's the kind of character that he finally played. And I was like, finally, I like, I feel like you're like, I feel like he's been holding his breath and he finally started breathing. Mm. And I was like, now I can breathe when I watch you. <laughs> yeah. This is so exciting. Okay. I know that was, that was really long, but I need to get that off my chest. <laughs> So the next category is most epic OTP, romantic or platonic. And this was a writing category. So people were asked to choose the couple and then make their case. And so what I did when I was tallying the results was I just basically tallied who the most popular pair was. Um, well, there were two that were pretty close in tallies. So the most popular one by far was Naido and uh, Goyurem, the best friends from 2521, but they didn't start out as best friends. I mean, their whole, I mean, I wholeheartedly agree with this because it was just, 
such an epic friendship and it went through so many interesting phases and I just like oh just oh so good so good I don't have anything <laughs> eloquent to say um and the second um in second place was uh, Mudok and Jungkook from Alchemy of Souls part one for Nahido and Goyri, most of the people who voted for them just put their names, which, like, I respect that. Nothing really needs to be said because we all know how good they were. Some uh, people, though, uh, use, like, the custom form to, like, actually make a case for uh, the pairing they were rooting for. And I really like these two that uh, was for Jungkook and Mudok uh, from Alchemy of Souls Part 1. Um First one is the progression they had stemming simply from a mutually beneficial agreement with an end date to becoming each other's most respected and trusted person was beautiful and poignant. Uh, This was by Elena. And I completely agree. Uh, These two were so... It it was a partnership of convenience, but then it kind of morphed into a, a situation where they depended on each other wholly and it was no longer it no longer had an expiry date it, it was great the other one that i really love is um when jungkook challenges mudok to choose what she wants um which is him the same way she's been challenging him all along to get what he wants and then something very momentous happens which the, the ashley spoils what i want <laughs> this was also a really good case that's true the i i i really love that throughout the first part uh, mudok had been pushing jungkook like really challenging him to excel and then at one point when he realized that there there was like she had a mental block especially when it came to like trusting um her romantic feelings for him he challenges her to rise above them. And that that was like a really well-written scene. I love that. Um, yeah. Okay. There is a pair that I just want to give like uh, a bit of, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, 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 an kudos. Honorary, yeah. Kudos. Honorary mention to. And somebody made the case for them. So I'll just read that out. Oh, I was thinking of giving them a shout out too because a f- couple of people mentioned them and I feel like that was a surprising thing. Right, that, right. Like, yeah. Okay. Um, so it was John and Jiwon from Love is for Suckers. They stole the show with minimal screen time. This is very true, KD. The You were not expecting these two characters who had very separated storylines to, first of all, to become a couple. I was so delighted and they suited each other so well. But also to kind of like sneak up and kind of become like the like the most wholesome part of the show when the rest of the story was kind of going downhill. So, yes. Frabby wrote a great post about this, by the way. About love is for suckers. Yes, she has like an abridged review, and she did. She, she it, it, it was excellent. One last shout out because um, SG Wordy's response to uh, most epic OTP was me and older dramas. Twenty twenty two was yeah. just not my drama year, and I think that holds true yes. for a lot of people. So I wanted to give that a shout out. Hard agree. Um, the next couple, I don't think we really need to comment on them, but they just are what they are. <laughs> Soundtrack listened to on repeat. Um, by an extremely large margin, people agreed with me that it was our beloved summer. summer. Yeah, fifty-one point eight percent. I have to say, one person wrote in none. <laughs> F. I hate ballads. <laughs> oh. 
That was a harsh burn. Um, I honestly also agree with you. I'm not a ballad person, but I feel like there was a lot of non-ballad options for us to choose from this year and some really great music. Being a K-dramas are a thing where you find yourself really big, like appreciating the kind of songs you never listen to. Like, I hate ballads. Mm. And yet I love a lot from K-dramas. It lets you live with the song for a bit. It like brainwashes you into loving the song yeah. because it brings you back to those epic <laughs> moments from the drama where like you're like okay so then you have it on your playlist and you're listening mm. to it in your car and you're like objectively is this a song that I would enjoy no yeah. but it reminds me of this moment when like the elevator door opened and they looked into each other's yeah. eyes and they were crying and then there was like you know <laughs> confessions <laughs> like the, the, the songs from You're Beautiful are objectively not that great but I still How like start hearing refrains some of those <laughs> angel songs i'm sorry those angel songs are like pop trash but they're so catchy so they're catchy. so exactly what they need to be they're uh, perfect but they're not like objectively good art you know no but i have listened to them so many times yes. and i will listen to yes. them more. i will promise you exactly anyway oh hold on hold on but you know when you sing the i, I will promise you song i don't think of them being on stage i think of Huang the kyung being in the bathroom trying to distract this guy <laughs> while they're like yeah by singing the song because he okay, right exactly yeah. i can't tell you why without spoiling. i've watched dramas to the end because of one song yeah dramas yes, that you have that i didn't think were that good afterwards i sort of thought they were better than they were because of the music Again, my life. Mm. I I finished watching Again, my life because mm. I really liked the that that one cinematic sound that they had. Mm, yes. I, I don't know why. Yeah. Because it does made me finish watching. It, it's like they, you know, music. It sort of creeps in under your like logical brain, and it pro like it's conditioning, emotional conditioning, right? And the best, uh, the best soundtracks and the best scores create. Like an atmosphere and a tone for the drama Mm. that really sometimes is more important than, you know, even the acting or the writing. You know, like I so I I recently found out that that during the pandemic, there was a cast reunion from the Lord of the Rings movies, which are this year, last year and next year will be celebrating their 20th anniversaries. And they actually had Howard Shore on on the call. And I mean, it was just this delightful Zoom call with all these people who who have like gotten me through so many difficult moments Mm. in the last 20 years I was like over the moon with joy to see these people and they were so happy to see each other okay I'm sorry this is not (laughs) K-drama related but I think I don't know if it was Peter Jackson or one of the cast members who said that the soundtrack that Howard Shore created for this movie was like literally half the film I think Mm. it was Peter Jackson he was saying like it was half of the film and I agree like sometimes the experience created by the music is so deeply moving that it just lifts every and yeah. I mean I think that was the case with Vincenzo last year mm. it was already so good but this the music really the was like music just it just took you places and it's the music coupled with that sweeping vista and I think I mentioned this like last year or something like with Jason that there was one mm. song that kept me in that drama to the end and of course I realized much much later that that was Jin of BTS <laughs> see I loved you before I knew you <laughs> um, but yeah that that sort of that visual 
grandeur coupled with that epic music that's really something that gets us old sort of fantasy nerds really and it locates you in a place and time mm. in a way that like very few things can do that quickly and i think what's really telling also i mean this year i want to shout out also the second and third place winners of this category which were 2521 and my liberation notes and my liberation notes is like so effective at creating that melancholy, gorgeous mood. But 2521 and Our Beloved Summer are very much tied into like the nostalgia, right? And the music, the way that it like brings the nostalgia, whether that's for, you know, the 2010s or for the 90s and the way it like instantly brings you to that place where the drama wants you to be and mm. keeps you there. Just Agreed. amazing. Yeah. Song of the year. Um, you were not given a choice, except you could respond or not respond. But seventy people agreed with me that "Christmas Tree" by V was the best song of the year. But it is a hundred percent of the vote. It is a hundred percent of the vote. Yeah, because that was the only answer. <sighs> I mean, this was kind of a joke category, but also in seriousness, I really felt like it represented our experience of the year in a way because. You know, I started watching Our Beloved Summer in December of last year and I finished it yesterday. So oh, it stayed wow. with me all year. Yeah. I've also been listening to the music all year. Um, but uh, at the same time, like BTS has been with us this year in many iterations. <laughs> they have been with us as a podcast. They have also been with us as like a broader global culture. And they've left us. At least Jin has. Sorry, carry on. Yes. Yeah, they're they're leaving for the military, it's a fitting tribute. I just, I just felt like that was the only choice. He just has that voice. Tyung has that voice. Mm. Whenever I hear it, I think Velvet. It's like it's rich, and full-bodied and classic. Also, like I sang this. Whenever I sing this song, like in karaoke, I can appreciate like the range mm -hmm. of his voice because the song starts out so low and then. The chorus is so high, and you're like, "This is a man he, with a voice an that can go voice. anywhere." Yeah, yeah. And also the the Christmas song that he just did, like he recorded in his home um, and published, and which in like six minutes of publishing, God, how many was it? Was like, I told you. Well, it I, was like hundreds of thousands of views. It was <laughs> nearly a million in like right less right? than twelve. Was it? You know what? There are people out there who know these numbers, so I don't want to get them wrong. Yeah, I don't. But, but my point is it was so some insane fast. and it was yeah. a home recording of a Christmas song. And this was one of that that old school, deep voiced mm. Christmas song, like the stuff that you got out of like the 60s yeah. American. Right, right. You know. I think it's it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Yes, that's that's one. one. And my God, I just like I love I love his rendition. Like it's not even like a cover where he's changing a lot. It's just that him singing with that voice. How did this become another BTS episode? <laughs> yeah, well, we didn't get to that portion of the, the yak yet. Let's. Uh... <laughs> but this brings us to our last audience award, which was create your own award, which we had lots of wonderful responses, creative responses. Um, we had in total forty nine responses, so we're Ooh. not going to be able to read all of them. But we did want to read like a sampling of some of the ones that we enjoyed. So one of our favorite writings is from Diane, and she gives the most impressive idol doing acting award to, well, let me read you what she said. 
I'm torn between Red Velvet's Joy in The One and Only and SF9's Chani in Under the Queen's Umbrella. Joy's character could have been one-dimensional, but Joy played her so naturally and made her feel like a real person. Bimbotic characters seem easy to play. I didn't know bimbotic was a word. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) It is now. (laughs) But to not have them be the bad kind of annoying is another thing. Chani's snarls and sneers in the Queen's Umbrella feel so well-crafted. He is good at that. Again, Mm. his character could have just been angsty and grouchy, but you could really feel the evil simmering beneath his glare. Good job to them both. Because I created this award, I have decided both of them will get it. Yes, I agree, Dan. Yeah, good call, Diane. That's what we do. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Chani snarls and steers. I 100% agree about Queen Samras, but I was thinking he also did an angsty and grouchy character in Miracle. Miracle, but but, um, I have, I didn't love him in that. He's also basically playing a version of himself yeah. in that, so <laughs> yeah. less yeah. points. Agreed, but but my point is that as Dan said, it would have been easy to make him angsty and grouchy, mm. and like very clearly he can easily play that. Yeah. He did it in Miracle, and then when you watch him in Queen Sombrella, you can actually see it's like the evolved like, version, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like this yeah. is him acting. Correct, because in Miracle he was just like being himself, kind of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe a brattier version, maybe a less bratty. Who knows what he's really like? <laughs> we don't know. No offense, Chani fans. <laughs> he's a good boy. He's a kid. We will give him that. Okay. <laughs> Next is best all-star athlete <laughs> from Jelly Bean. And the award goes to Mr. Goo from My Liberation Notes. <laughs> so great. I laughed out loud when I saw this entry. <laughs> she does not need to explain this. Mr. Goo most definitely no, is. No, if you watch the drama, <laughs> you will agree. Yeah. It's just like the most unexpected but perfect award for this show. Absolutely perfect. And then from SA, we have the award for Worst Office Ever. To forecasting love and weather for the frequent assaults on colleagues with absolutely no repercussions. You got virulent sexism on top of it for free from the male lead and ev- literally every male subordinate of the female lead. Yeah, this is why I dropped the drama after two episodes. Um, sad to hear that it didn't get better. Glad I didn't watch it. My mom actually finished this whole show, um, but she said it was because she really loved the weather forecasting stuff. Mm, and that, that was good. one of her favorite things about K-dramas is how they show you like different jobs. Yeah, like the behind the scenes of jobs that you've always wondered about. I mean, I agree with you. There was a lot of sexism. I also agree with you, like the workplace, just random hitting people with no actual HR getting involved. Mm. That that, that just, felt old school in a bad way. Yeah, exactly. Except that despite all of that, I saw some value in the story they were trying to tell. It just got, it got very plodding. So the value kind of got lost by the end of the drama. But like Anissa's uh, mom, I also really enjoyed the weather forecasting side of things. I could just watch like bits. I, I, I could skip through that drama and just watch the weather forecasting. Hmm. So next we've got from Tracy, the most I belong in 2010 drama. Love is for suckers. Such lazy and dated storytelling. Relationship dynamics like this need to be left in the coffin, where most writers don't even bother going close to anymore. Well said. Mm, I, I completely agree. 
a, the first four episodes were really good. And then they mm. just dove off a cliff after that. <laughs> I was so optimistic. <laughs> I made I made a YouTube video. Do you guys know how much effort it takes for my brain <laughs> to churn out a YouTube video on something? And then they just were like, you know what? We will take this character who was like respectful of boundaries and very considerate and make him the worst kind of toxic towards the heroine. And the heroine will be like, it's all my fault. I deserve of this <sighs> yeah the next one is from david and the award is best use of the time skip trope and he gives it to shooting stars by having it at the beginning of episode one so clever yeah. i love this what i i didn't get it you know they had that like one year time skip at the beginning where you know africa and all of that but then it continued to have consequences for the story as the drama progressed. It wasn't used as a last minute conflict. Mm-hmm. Oh, now I get it. Wow, guys. So I'm so sorry, David. My brain was not. <laughs> it, was, it was just frozen. For a second, I thought your screen was frozen. <laughs> yeah, I was like, <laughs> I thought it was too. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I didn't think about this, but I totally mm-hmm. agree. This is very smart. And I think like shooting stars did a lot of this kind of stuff where I don't know, they like subverted a lot of tropes without making a big deal out of it. Like, mm. you know, a lot of times shows will be like doing something and then there'll be there's like this big blinking neon arrow, like, look, we subverted <laughs> this trope. Aren't we clever? Aren't we we know what you're thinking? We're thinking that too. Uh, uh, uh. And you're all just like, okay. <laughs> I love your acting here. And if only our listeners could and see it. It's like the you know the, the writer is shooting you finger guns and being like, I see you, K-drama viewer. But in this one, they just decided to make different choices. Yeah. And some of those different choices weren't good. Like Allison's award was drama that made me overlook some egregious and outdated story aspects because of the characters' charms. Shooting stars. So um, Allison was talking about the whole Africa mm. plot line. And everything that was associated with that, which was like problematic, we talked about it on the podcast. Um, and then also um, the hero threatening to expose himself to the heroine, which was horrifying. I've actually kind of blocked that out of my memory. And when I read this, I was like, oh, yeah, that was really bad. Um, but Allison said she still enjoyed the drama immensely. We just discussed both issues in that episode. Um, but yeah, just like you, Allison, uh, we agree. We mm-hmm. we went through it in our head. We had our reservations. We discussed it. We did all of that. And then we went on to watch the whole mm-hmm. drama and yeah. quite liked it. So, I mean, some bold choices, some bad bold choices. <laughs> but uh, the majority of those were, were good choices. And they also, and they just did them, you know, they just kind of did it and it worked. Yeah, um, and agreed. I agree. You know why I, I didn't get the award initially, David's award, best use of the time skip trope? In my head, I, I was thinking of a time slip trope. And I'm like, where did uh. time travel <laughs> happen in shooting stars? You know, there was, I don't think there was any time travel. Was there any time travel this year? Are those like, again, my lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah, but that's like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, right. tomorrow had time travel. Did it? Yeah. I didn't watch tomorrow. Did so. it? Okay. Okay. Oh, it did. Yeah. But it's not a time slip no, drama. No, no, no. So I don't think we had any time slip dramas necessarily this year. The mm. speculative sci-fi style of time travel, no. 
not like Sisyphus yeah. style or like um, Kim Bung Do style. What was that? What was the Queen thing? Queen Enhancement. Oh, Queen Enhancement. Queen Enhancement. Yeah, not that type of classic <sighs> I need time slip time, type stuff. Time travel in my life. Yeah, I really like time travel. <laughs> yeah, me too. I realized this year for the first time, ah, time travel is what I'm obsessed with. Across every language and every medium. Mm, interesting. <laughs> yeah. And we've had so many of them. Like, they've been trendy in K-drama for such a long time. Time travel thrillers, by the way. Not time travel romances. Those ones don't yeah, really like, do much for me. Tunnel, Watchers. It's just, every time one of these comes Isn't up. Isn't Circle, Circle also a time travel drama? It's not cool. That's um, a parallel I mean, timeline. It's, parallel it's, timeline. Not, it's, yeah, not, time it's not time travel exactly. But it has the same feelings. Yeah. Mm. Actually, it's not time travel at all. <laughs> oh, is this a good place to give yes. a shout out to our Sisyphus episode, which I suspect many people haven't listened to? But if you're interested in sci fi in general, me and Borama have a very good discussion about K dramas and sci fi buried inside the Sisyphus episode. Very worth listening to, even if you dropped out of Sisyphus after a couple of episodes or you didn't even yeah. watch it, like me. <laughs> And finally, from Molly, we have the best drama to recommend with zero context because it's too hard to describe. My liberation <laughs> notes. Yeah, you should watch it, Sai. <laughs> I can't tell you why. <laughs> but I agree. It's it's very it's it's hard to say. I mean, I can say what I loved about it, but it is hard to describe mm. exactly what kind. This of This is show a really it good is award because it's unique. Yeah. To wrap up the listener Goguma mm. section, um, here are the big ones. So first, let's talk about the most disliked drama. Dramas. Yes. Three. So these ones, <laughs> I mentioned these. I put three in here because they're all like pretty close together in terms of statistics. Um, and I feel like we probably are not going to talk about these shows much otherwise no or pretty much like they're, they're not on our list otherwise <laughs> exactly so with 13.5 percent you had forecasting love and weather um and then second place with 12 and a half percent was 39 and then with around 10 percent now we are breaking up who boo. was in now we are breaking up wait i can't do that boo <laughs> who was in now we are breaking up it was um Oh, the the gorgeous one. What's her name? Song, Song Hegyo. Song, Song Hegyo. Song, but I can't remember who the hero was. But I know it was a Song the, Hegyo. The 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 oh my god, Gumiho. My roommate is a Gumiho actor. <laughs> oh, okay, I know his face, but I can't remember his name. I also <laughs> Jong Kyung Kyung Jung Kyung Kyung Jung Kyung. Well, what I was noticing in this list is that these were all big actress vehicles, right? So you have the Pang Minyoung drama, you have the Son Yejin drama, and the, uh, who was it you said? Uh, Song <laughs> Hye-kyo. Song Hye-kyo. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that that was, because we had other big actress vehicles that were amazing. Yes, of so, course. Um, but it's what, a shame that was they really have I was so excited for that. Yeah. I was excited for no. a Pung Min Young drama that I could like. Yeah, I was also excited for that. To be fair, I didn't give any of these dramas more than one episode. Um, I didn't even start 39 and now we're breaking up. But like the negative reaction to those was pretty immediate and pretty widespread. And intense. And yeah. there were... I just, given how like overextended I was feeling anyway on K-dramas, I just didn't bother. There were some people who liked 39 like a, a small section but they did the exploration was of grief 
and also things subjects matters like extramarital affairs and um, but it, it was it was done not very well i think was the most common criticism like it was done heavy handedly but also like the morality was a bit whack so 39 makes sense now we are breaking up was on my list probably the worst drama um of of the last year <laughs> and that was because much like fabulous um now we are breaking up was positioned as this glossy drama like you have this photographer and this uh woman who i think she has an ad agency she she's just some marketing work or something like she's into design she's very capable at first blush but then more you watch the story you realize she's more of an the story we were expecting was of a mature woman who's at the peak of her success meeting this photographer and like them having um a relationship and like you were supposed to see the ups and downs of relationship what we got sounds a lot like encounter i mean yes but not not quite it like the age difference wasn't in, in any way a, a factor here and they they were not like she was not in a position of power over him um in uh, now we are breaking up what was annoying super super annoying there were so many things that were annoying but like the major things the first one was she turns out not to be a woman at the, at the peak of her career she is apparently the one who's pretty much managing this entire company but her friend gets the credit and she just she's kind of like an underling and she has to prove her worth which is not a storyline you expect somebody of song hee kyo's position status to take it's just annoying you know i didn't watch this show but i feel like this is the nuna romance problem but in real life by which i mean the nuna romance problem that i always bring up is that like if they have a woman who's much older and more successful and has some like more power than the hero then they have to like bring her down and humiliate her in some way whereas in this case it's like the mismatch even when i heard the casting news i was like that's a weird mismatch like song hyo with jang kyung like not that i don't like him but yeah. they don't match like she's so much bigger than yeah. he is like and so i feel like in a met- on a meta level they're like doing this thing of like oh like here's us bringing song hyo down from her actual status of being like a much bigger star than he is and more successful and more of a veteran and kind of like equal that yeah. it feels kind of gross to me. And Jung Kyung's uh, character was sort of like a hidden famous photographer. Like he just walks around in I think this was it like Paris uh, Fashion Week or something. I don't know. There was some big Fashion Week thing was going on and uh, Song Hye Kyo's uh, team lost their photographer. So she just grabs him and is like do me a favor do this photo shoot. And she's hovering over him the entire time sort of doubting his abilities and he turns out to have like these amazing because he's secretly a very famous photographer that nobody can you know get a hold of i hate that and 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 then of course there is that one point where like she is trying to like nail this deal and it's not happening and he walks in and basically saves it for her by being like i i will be a part of it only if you do the deal with uh... her do you guys Do you get a sense of why I hate this drama so that much? That was my main issue with forecasting so love and weather too. It was a new net romance problem. <sighs> yeah. You know what drama didn't do this and actually like leaned into casting a much older and more successful and veteran and more skilled actress against Jung Kyung was um Search WWW where you had mm. an imbalance in their real life star power. but the drama used that to its advantage and did a really good job Absolutely. with everything about their relationship 
completely agree and and clearly that can work really well i sort of expected that kind of dynamic here because if you watch the trailers you'll know what i mean it makes it seem as if song hye kyo is you know like this really confident woman who's like at the peak of her career but when you start watching the story it's so it it's drudgery to again watch someone who's like at her first of all at her age who's apparently done amazing work and is recognized for it but actually doesn't have any power and it's it's not as if you are facing reality and this is a story about how you know sad situations but no it's it's not one of those stories it just it's it's a waste of time um and finally the stupid thing that they did was she was in love with his brother and he died and then they find that out oh no yeah Mm-mm. oh no yeah <laughs> So yes, glad we dodged that one. For the most dislike, <laughs> you guys dodged that one. I watched eight episodes. <laughs> you could have dropped it sooner. I could have. I kept waiting for. I watched yeah. it for Song Hye Kyo. Like I like um, Jang Ki Young, but like not to the point where I would subject myself to a drama I'm not enjoying. I like Song Hye Kyo a lot. So. And also, yeah, fair, fair enough. I watched entirety of forecasting. I did love uh, certain bits of it, but yes, it had a lot of flaws. I am not surprised it's on this list. Okay, all right. <laughs> Shall we move on to to happier topics? <laughs> so at number three, we had extraordinary attorney Wu as your favorite drama of your third favorite drama of the year. That's how we're doing it, right? <laughs> yeah, and then. And then in the second place, you have a tie between My Liberation Notes and The Red Sleeve as your second favorite dramas of the year. And then for the number one drama, we had a tie for between Alchemy of Souls, part one, I guess, <laughs> and 2521, um, which was also tied for the number three, most votes for number three. And we just had like a little discussion about whether <laughs> we should put it there or not. <laughs> just to see behind the scenes but pharma like tell the listeners why this is interesting you felt it was important to mention that it was also tied for number three because it, it's really interesting that for a lot of viewers 2521 was the best drama of the year and for a lot of viewers 2521 was like yeah it was a great drama but not the best drama it appeared like with substantial it was actually a, a tie between extraordinary attorney who and 2521 in the third place uh, in terms of preferences so you know it, it's it's nice that i think 2521 is one of those dramas which actually got like a larger viewer base like connected with a larger viewer base and that shows in this ranking like where is both like first preference and third preference Yeah. yeah. It's also interesting to do the awards this way because I mean this didn't end up showing up in the final um results, but when I mean we had like a 45 50 votes, it was really interesting to see that no one had chosen Little Women, mm. Little Women as their number one drama, like not even a single person, and yet it was the top choice for number two drama of the year, which I think is fascinating. Yeah. That <laughs> and is. I and I kind of totally understand why you would make that choice. So that was that was interesting to observe as people were voting like how things were changing. Agreed. I also thought that recency effect uh would like change things 
Uh, for instance, I did not think that the Red Sleeve would get enough love on this year's poll since it actually started airing last year um, and only wrapped up ending in like the first week of 2022. But it's it's your second uh, favorite drama. <laughs> I I love that. I mean, uh, the fact that our like when we really love a drama, our memory of it is just it holds on to it for a very long time. So yeah. 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 Also, I expected Extraordinary Attorney Wu to get like a huge chunk of votes. I'm so surprised. Well, I think <laughs> the end of it let it down, didn't it? Yeah, I suppose it did. But I, I'm surprised that it and also the fact that it 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 did it win like the uh, best first half, second worst second mm-hmm. half. Yeah. Yes, by a large margin. Because yeah. when we were discussing it online, we I there weren't that many people who were chiming. Like there was a substantial section of the population who was like, "Why did it go that way?" But we felt like the odd ones out saying that the second uh, half went adrift. It felt like there was a larger, like the majority of people just loved it throughout. But the polling says otherwise. Apparently, at least amongst the people who were uh, filling in, uh, in our polls, you guys feel strongly just like we do that the second half went awry. So yeah, that was that is cool to see. Hmm. It's also an interesting case of like how much I think it matters differently to different people how a drama ends Mm. you know Mm. like not everyone cares for me if I don't like the ending of a drama that really ruins the whole experience but some people will be able to enjoy what was good about it and then they're like well like the the ending was kind of disappointing but like most endings are disappointing anyway so I'm not gonna like be bothered I mean my sister says that to me sometimes or she's like you know like some most of the time, I don't even finish dramas. So just I'm like, okay. Yeah. I mean, the way people watch things and how they rank what's important to them and like the overall quality of like what makes best, quote unquote, is so subjective, which is why this is fun, right? Yeah. So this brings us to the end of the listener Gogomas. Thank you so much for voting. This was like super fun to, you know, watch the votes come in, to read the responses. We weren't able to talk about all of the write-in awards. We'll make sure to publish those um, on the website. So check that out. Um, And then coming up next, um, we have our personal Gogoma Awards, which in which we all chose certain awards to give certain dramas and also our sort of year in review personally for each one of us. And then guest reviews, which we're really excited to share with you. And all of that will happen in the next episode because we really need to end this one now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So tune back in, guys. Thank you so much for listening. And if you guys haven't been taking part, or I think a lot of people have been taking part in our Twitter review hashtag game uh, dramas over 2022, uh, even if you're not taking part, click on the hashtag and read other people's reviews. Yeah, we have lovely reviews. Yes. And we did it a little differently. So if you've participated in previous years, basically, we just did like one review a month for the whole of December. Um, that was hashtag dramas over 2021. If you want to go back and read them um, this year, we thought we would do something like a little less intense mm-hmm. um, and we provided prompts. So every week on Friday in December, we provided a prompt for people to respond to. And if you click on dramas over 2022, hashtag you can see those um, and you can also just see them like we've been retweeting them from our account so um, you can still participate yep. even if it's not December anymore it's not tied to December yeah. anymore which is like <laughs> the, the nice thing so if you if it's like January and you still have thoughts about what you watched in 2022 
respond to the prompts. We would love to hear what you or think. Or if it's July and you're listening to this like six months later, completely fine. Absolutely. Or, you know, just years. tag us because we won't be clicking on the hashtag in July. <laughs> right now, I've been clicking on the hashtag every every day just to make sure I don't miss anything. Also, a really good way of finding out what like the best and worst dramas of 2022 were directly from, uh, you know, like people who are like just everybody, not just us, not our own very narrow <laughs> uh, ideas of the best and worst, but like from a much broader range. So a lot of people um, you, would like some people love some dramas and you, then you have some other people being like, hey, no, but like this stuff was like really off about the drama. And that is mm. so much more fun, like when you're reading through the hashtag. So, yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. Yeah. I mean, we always talk to each other, so we know how each other feel. But we really love when we hear from you because it makes the whole fandom experience so much more rich and enjoyable. So where can they find us on Twitter? They can find us. You can find us at Dramas Overflow on Twitter because it hasn't quite burned down yet. So we're still there. Um, (laughs) You can find me on Twitter at Anissa Khalifa underscore. You can find my Twitter where I'm not there very much at not now Saya. You can find me at the drama notes, and you can find uh, dramas or flowers on Instagram at dramas over flowers underscore. You can email us at dramasoverflowers at gmail.com. And also, don't forget, we have a newsletter, a really, really nice newsletter, and we don't spam you. Link for that is down below. We send out freebies sometimes and announcements, and like just fun stuff check it out yeah, speaking of fun stuff uh if you are one of our amazing appreciated and beloved patrons don't forget to check out the voice note diaries we've been leaving nearly every week um which are silly or deep or Both, analytical sometimes. depending on <laughs> who you listen to <laughs> yeah yeah um, yeah those, those have been really fun to create <laughs> Oh, and so also you can find us on Facebook. Just search Dramas Over Flowers, and our website is at dramasoverflowers.net. And Dramas Over Flowers is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media/slash podcasts. And, and that's it, guys. Done. See you in the next episode. Yay. Bye. Bye. This cannot be one episode. This is too long.